cracks, Naga, girl, my hardu, Zeke. Oh yeah. The bigotry towards and sexual appetites of the Ferangi. Oh yeah. And Wade has a crush on Andrea Martin, a strange, beautiful crush. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello, and welcome to The Rules of Acquisition, a podcast I hope you've been listening to for a little bit, so you know the whole spiel. We're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're going through every single episode. Uh, With me is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And as always, I'm Wade Bowen. And tonight, we're going through an episode called... The Nagus. Yes, the Nagus. So, yeah. All right. If you want me to go ahead and get into the description, according to IMDb, this uh, aired March 21st, 1993. IMD describes this episode as the Ferengi's greatest politician and leader, the Grand Nagus, comes to the station. He seems very interested in Quark's bar. This one was directed by David Livingston. All right, gentlemen, so what do we think of the Nagus? Anybody want to start? Initial thoughts? I loved this episode. This is the first one in a while. I, 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 I enjoyed a good part of this episode, and I feel like that the parts that I didn't enjoy revealed something to me about how at least the first season of Deep Space Nine is, is running behind the scenes. And uh, it was so I enjoyed it on that level, too. So what wasn't enjoyable was informative to me. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really I enjoyed this one more than I thought I would remembering it because mm-hmm. let's go out and say this is a Ferengi episode. That's what this one is. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. This one's all about the Ferengi. Yes. And I remember from going through and watching it all before as the Ferengi getting a little bit tiresome, like, oh, they lean on it so much because it's a fan favorite and blah, blah. It's kind of, yeah. you know, trite or whatever. But you know what? This one, this is a great episode. I liked it. Yeah. And you know what? And I think for two reasons, it's great. One of which is the entire, I I really liked, I mean, it's kind of hokey and TV as it was. I really liked the whole father, the whole Cisco, Jake and Nog storyline. Yeah. I came on here ready to defend that quite a bit. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah. No, 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 no. I thought that was a good storyline. Me too. I like that a lot. I have thoughts about it I want to talk about later. Yeah, I responded to it as a teenager, a man, a man who's been a teenager. I responded to it as a father of an eight-year-old boy, but what will one day be a 14-year-old boy? So, I mean, I liked that whole storyline a lot. Okay, so the storyline is is that basically Jake uh, could go on vacation. At the beginning of the episode, Jake could go on a trip with his father, but tells him that he doesn't want to do that, that he just wants to watch ships come in with Nog. Mm-hmm. Like he's at an age where he's putting like the stuff with his dad aside in favor of hanging out with his friend, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. He could go to the fire caverns for gratitude fest. Yes. Which at first I was like, oh, is this like fucking happiness day or whatever it is in the Star Wars yeah. <laughs> holiday special? Exactly. <laughs> And it, for everyone that wanted to go see those fire caves, believe me, you will. Don't worry. <laughs> You'll see a lot of those fire caves, oh, the yeah. fire caverns of Bajor. Yeah. Um, they come back. Yeah. Uh, I also liked that it touched on, not touched on, it was pretty extremely sort of firm in the racism of Cisco and O'Brien, but particularly Cisco, towards Ferengis. And I'm going to call it racism. Yeah, it's it's racism. Because I think specific, specifically about the racism in that storyline with between Nog and the father and the and the son, and I think it's specifically like hammered home in that scene where he's like, "I want you to like him because we're Federation and we like other people, but we're just so different that we can never, you know." And he was trying to make these sort of excuses to sort of, and I, it was fun to watch this. It's fun to watch Avery Brooks do this. It's fun to watch a Federation that sort of chisel at the the esteem of the Federation. So all of that was just really, really enjoyable. And the second thing that I loved most about this episode was, was Wallace Shawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can just imagine, I mean, watch those scenes and imagine even like the base level Star Trek actor in that role, mm-hmm. like whatever the base minimum or whatever is playing that role and how hammy 
and awful it could be right or boring right it could be really boring too he gets a little bit hammy in there but he no no almost a little bit to the <laughs> yeah to the extent that those get a little bit grading for me if i'm being honest but i i felt like he knew he knew it was gonna grade on you yeah. <laughs> it's like you're being graded on by a master yeah i forgave it because it's fucking wallace sean doing it so well i feel like he knew when to go a little bit deeper he knew when to like hold back he knew when to like he's giving a multi-level performance obviously it's a high-pitched performance and obviously it's broad comedy but he's giving it like a touch of nuance that i i think is maybe uh it's a lesson for some of these actors on the show of how to play these kind of characters so right i don't know if he went into it thinking i'm going to do a nuance thing i think he's just he's just good enough to that it, it pulls through yeah no i think he just just since memory of like old Hollywood, you know, old Broadway talent, you know, right. He's trained enough and been around enough that he knows that you, you know, he's not, he's a real actor. He worked his way to get to where he is and he's a real playwright. And- right, right. He's done mask work like Armin Shimmerman has to make yeah. him good at being a Ferengi. And- <laughs> yeah. So like he, he did, he, he's got the skills. So just in the sense memory, he comes from like someone didn't just this, he, he's not like Terry Farrell where everybody told her she was pretty and she decided to go be in television yeah that's not his career path so he's got skills that he acquired through not being on a being on a different path (laughs) yeah you're a hot four foot (laughs) 11 or whatever his height is (laughs) yes though to your first point i did find it funny like oh the cisco's the federation and humans and ferengi are so different oh yeah because like humans have never been capitalist (laughs) yes (laughs) Yes. Right. Plus, Cisco's dad owns a restaurant. Yeah. Are you telling me he's giving that shit away for free? Oh, yeah. Come on. He's in the Federation. Yeah, he's doing it because that's what you get to do in the 23rd whatever century it is. You get to do what you love. You get to make a living off of it. You don't have to worry about doing it for Mm -hmm. sustenance. You do it because you love doing it. And that's what his dad does. Well, they call him a chef, but really he's just a replicator programmer. <laughs> oh, his, no, his dad cooks some shit. <laughs> no, but no, I know. I'm just kidding. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We haven't even introduced. We are. Yeah, that was that was my bad. This episode even had aubergine stew in it. Oh, is that this is the first mention of aubergine stew? No, it was mentioned in the pilot because his dad used to make a mean aubergine stew. But this was uh, this was the second mention. Yeah. Okay. So what's up here? So why is the Grand Nagus coming to a a shitty little space station well it and a shitty little bar it turns out it's because the gamma quadrant provides some new business opportunities and i think that's interesting you know that like checks off the box of actually using the wormhole yes. for a plot device oh yeah you know which is basically all we ask of this show and it hasn't done that for <laughs> half of the episodes yes. Good point. That was what you think of, like in those last lines of the first pi- of the pilot episode. It's like this opens up everything of all these new potentials, and then we just do typical boring Star Trek shit for five episodes. Right? No, this is like why aren't there Ferengis out there manipulating people in that? So no, it makes sense. This is what the second or third episode should have been about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what? That's that's true. Mm-hmm. The Grand Nagus should have been there like ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to sort of plant the seeds of what I think when I said that it gave me like an inkling of what I don't think is working this season is this episode was actually pitched by the director, the director of the episode. He's directed a ton of Star Star Trek shows across all spectrums of the different series that David Livingston. And it was the first time he pitched an episode and he pitched an episode that it was the he pitched the Jake Nog and Cisco stuff. And then he pitched an episode about a conglomerate of criminals that run a criminal enterprise throughout the Alpha Quadrant featuring Klingons, Vulcans uh, you know, criminal Vulcans and all these different people. And they were to come on Quark's bar and sort of put this, the plot device in motion that Quark ultimately sort of got snared into. And I think that's a fine episode. Like, I don't know. And they, they were like, no. And, De- and Ira Bear said, no, I just want to rewrite it and put Ferengis in it because we like Ferengis. You know what? I think that was the right call. Do you? Yeah, I do too. No. Okay. 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 So I like this episode a lot, but I, <sighs> you have the Ferengi, you might as well utilize them. And it also helps set this as something, it, it gives this series a voice apart from the next generation, which 
you know, Ferengis weren't a thing until the next generation. But then this is like you have Quark. Quark, who is such a good character, you might as well, if we're doing character-based stuff, have a Quark episode. Oh, how do you have a Quark episode? You talk about the Ferengi and their wider, you know, civilization. Yeah. Okay, it's my inst- it's my belief that Quark would have still been the center of this. Yeah, but it just makes it more interesting and it colors it. Otherwise, you do it with the, all the other races. It's It's like a Next Generation episode, but that Quark happens to be in. Yeah, this actually, you, this makes it uniquely Deep Space Nine is, I think, what he's trying to say, right? That's- mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, okay. Um, no, I, I, you're right, because the thing, the, the weird thing about my argument is this episode doesn't suck. So I'm arguing about a change that <laughs> right. was made that didn't make the episode, that didn't make it a bad episode. Right. But I think it shows. That it, is weird. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Well, I, my overall point is I think that Ira Bear is possibly, like, a bad writer and a bad influence on this show. Hmm. And I think that with last episode, which was a dumbass idea of an episode, and it was an awful episode, it was pitched by Ira Bear's best friend, who had never worked on Star Trek before. <laughs> but he let him... Sure. It was his best friend, and he let him pitch an episode, and it was the worst episode in the world. Yeah, this Move ep- Along Home uh, yes. is easily the worst episode. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about... A man alone being the bar. It's like, oh man. Yeah, no, we moved. Man alone is so much that the bars <laughs> move along home is so much below the bar. It's, yes. It's the worst. <laughs> so we think move along home is actually the worst one so far? Oh my God, yes. Oh yeah, totally. I do. Do you not? No, I don't think it is the worst. I, it may be the worst Deep Space Nine episode. It pulls that trick where it's so bad that it's almost entertaining. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There was a, you might have a point there, but like, oh that's, man, that's my point. Like in watchability, I think. <laughs> right, we're get, I'm dragging us back to last week's <laughs> argument. This week, it's the it's a black hole of badness where it's yeah, still, still stuck in its mm-hmm. gravitational pull. Yeah, we could get. Um, we might be able to get in this argument every week about which one's worse <laughs> if we're not careful. Yeah, my argument for a long time is going to be moving along. Home, oh yeah, but, no, I you know. So I bl- I blame that episode all on I- Ira Bear, and I think that I I think what he's doing is he's meddling in episodes to keep it. Yet again, I think it doesn't add to like the greater deep space mythos. But you're right; it uses the and and it introduces Wallace Shawn, who's in seven more episodes of Deep Space Nine. So he's not like he he's a character we see again. Yeah, the Nagus. So it 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 contributes to that world. And but I think that yet again, it's he's trying to keep it like locked in the in the Deep Space Nine. Like there's a show that we know exists that it's trying to break out of. And I feel like. Right now, it, and this is another episode that just happens in a side a really small box that we know that they don't have to be in. And I feel like that's where this, you know, because every episode now, this we we go and we watch it and we're like, when does this? What is the show I remember take off? Right. <laughs> like, and it still hasn't done that yet. But but it's hard making that. And you see, their people are pitching bigger ideas. So let's say you have this great memorable character and you have this great storyline with Rom. With Nog's dad and him backstabbing Quark and all of those sort of things. Oh, wait, oh, the, wait, yeah, that was. I was about to say this is the first time that Rom's act, his personality actually starts to come through. Yeah, no, yeah, like for the whole greater series, you know, the last time we saw Rom, he was just your standard Ferengi, mm-hmm. and this time at the very first scene, it's like Rom being like a. Oh, Rom, you fucking idiot! And and that's also when we get the first rule of acquisition, acquisition. <laughs> which we've named our damn podcast after. <laughs> so I think that merits talking about because it, it sets up Rom as a bad Ferengi or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So what is the first rule? Does anybody remember it off the top of their head? Oh, I, it's once you have their money. Never, Never give, give it, it back. back. They say, and Rom says it like it's supposed to be an iambic pentameter or something. <laughs> Never give it back. I, that, I noticed that, like, the way that he says it, it's like, once you get the... You know, it's not just a regular thing. He's once you get their money, never get it. it. Like maybe in Ferengi, it rhymes better. It sounds better in the native Ferengi. Well, that would they like they. I think you're supposed to get it as like they learned it at school. Yeah, that's the stat. Okay, okay, that brings us to school and the subject <laughs> of Ferengi schools. What school? They don't have school in Ferengi. They, apparently, not. well, that that's what bothers me about this episode. Here we have 
the B plot, uh, Rom is disgusted with the human school. He tells Nog, his Ferengi son, that he cannot go to the Federation school anymore. And so that Nog, the poor bastard, turns out he can't even read, which was not established, I don't think, until this episode, right? This is the first we find out that that Nog can't read. Well, that was the thing. I was actually wondering, well, is he just that stunted or does that mean he can't read federation right speech so he's trying to learn federation it wasn't it wasn't clear uh, yeah. like i don't know if he could even read ferengi, ferengi yeah. or what yeah uh, that's weird like he has to learn to read ferengi some po- well you know what it's probably the father's role to do that and rom's not good enough rom's a big enough idiot that he never got around to i think it. if this was in the old west rom would be illiterate too yeah and and his whole thing about oh no Rom doesn't really care if he goes to school. Mm-hmm. He's just pissed because he he get he's embarrassed in front of the Grand Nagus and Quark saying, "Oh, your kids go to a Federation school," and he flips out. Yeah, it's a- we learn later that Rom actually doesn't have that big bias, but he's not developed enough to get there. He's yet. that typical character that's kind of dumb and soft. He's like Ferdinand the the bull from the children's story, where he doesn't want to be playing these like. Hot, these complicated Ferengi manipulation games, but he's it's expected of him. So when he does, like he does it slowly, and when he does it, it's really numb fisted and broad because it's not like his natural state, right? And so, like, I think at the end of the episode, you find him, you know, after trying to kill his only family and the only person that's really taking care of him in the show, trying to kill him twice. Um, I love that though, no, I love <laughs> yeah, that too, I do too. which I, oddly enough makes Quark respect him. That, I I love everything about this episode. I think this is a good episode. <laughs> right. I, I just was setting up that I think Ira Brant bears a hat because I think like in three or four three or four episodes I'm going to say I told you Ira bears a hat. All right, uh, but no, I I love this episode. But um, yeah, no, I I think that uh, like Rom is that by the end of the episode, Rom gets to go back to his comfortable zone of being a a follower. And Nog, right? And Nog eventually goes back to class, right? I mean, there's other. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't. Yeah, he does. They don't do a good job of establishing that. Spoilers. I don't remember how it works out, but I mean, eventually he's a Bajoran air pilot. So, like, I mean, like, right, right, right. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, sorry for about that. people that have not watched this show in the 20 years since it aired or whatever. But yeah, these characters have long lives, and yeah, yeah. And Nog gets very interesting. Though going back to that first scene when Quark berates Rom for giving the woman his her money back, because the first rule of acquisition is once you have their money, never give it back. Mm-hmm. And then Rom is given return the girl's purse. And then Rom goes over to yell at Nog. He's basically going down the pecking order to yell at his kid. Yeah. And then Rom, I guess it's supposed to be established that he's making a house of cards, but it's like classes and iPads. <laughs> Yeah, iPads. It's like, it's like pint glasses and iPads. What? Was he? Yeah, the director was like, I don't know. Just here, here's some props we have and just stack them. I thought like the story was trying to make me think that he was doing something school related, that he's got a, a, a thirsty hunger for knowledge. And he's been. That's what I thought, too, for some, for some reason. I thought it I don't know what he's doing with pint glasses and iPads. That makes a lot more sense. It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> just like, let's give him some business. I don't know what it means. We have these dumb props. It doesn't... It's still a stretch. Yeah. yeah, like, because I don't know what that... Because, like, last week, didn't we see Jake what looked like building a lightsaber or something? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was, but then lot, school was canceled last yeah. week. This week, school's back on with O'Brien teaching it instead of his wife. <laughs> yeah, that was my next... <laughs> which, which, apparently, classroom... Teaching the classroom is, is uh, passed down by blood right? I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> O'Brien's already working his fucking ass off. He's the busiest guy. And they're like... <laughs> And they're like, oh, sorry. You're, and, I mean, man, this whole thing is like set up to shit on his wife. Yeah, okay. okay. Can we say that the plot line that was cut was how much gossip was going around around the Federation officers about clearly O'Brien's wife is not coming back to Deep Space Nine. She, right. He's the last one to know. You, you, yeah. Did you read that on Memory Alpha or are you just make it? <laughs> no, no, no. It was just this idea that like, you know, a couple. 
You know, they've been fighting. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Then they go on a long vacation, and then he comes back alone. She's not coming back. <laughs> like, right, right. I, I'll just teach the school. Just, you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I get the feeling that there was like a scene, there was a secession of scenes cut out where, you know, Cisco's like, hey, man, do you want to come by my, my, my cabin tonight, and I'll cook, and we can have some beers and talk about things. <laughs> Right. Hey, buddy, you okay? Yeah, we've already established that O'Brien is yeah. totally overworked, and now he has to fucking teach school. <laughs> that was like, give it to Jed Zia. She ain't doing shit on this. <laughs> right. Well, the minute that that scene with him in the school is over with, something breaks down on the ship. Somebody tells O'Brien shit's breaking down. Oh, he's late to class because he's already had to fix something. Yeah, like every time <laughs> right. you see him, he's in, the, he's in a hole, like surrounded by wires. Like someone helped the, like... All right, sorry, kids. I, I, sorry, I'm not on time. I had to do work. <laughs> My God. Get fucking... Yeah. Cisco's got his kid there. He's just sitting in his office with his hands behind his ears, throwing a baseball around. <laughs> let him teach. If I'm right, Kira had no line in this episode. <laughs> yeah, let her do it. And Julian was barely in this episode, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was in the scene where he's like, uh, was talking about declared the negus day yeah or the yeah right. no it was that making sure that quark was okay after the bomb didn't kill him oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. that's right right one of the attempts uh, is a ferengi like homing homing bond yeah that works off your sweat <laughs> that track homes yeah which Ferengis give off a lot. It makes sense. We're always, they're always quick to give out gross details about Ferengi. I agree. Hey, you know what? Technology then can probably hone in on DNA and pheromones. Yeah. Maybe Ferengi give more. They got a lot of earwax. I don't know. One thing I noticed by having an episode that was so full of Ferengi is that, you know, because there's like, what, 10 or more Ferengi in this episode? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things I realized is that they kind of go out of their way to make Quark the most attractive. Yeah. He's like the George Clooney of Ferengis, it seems like. He's the most watchable. You can actually look at him. And that's on purpose because yes. you have to look at his face for like, you know, 40 minutes every week. So <laughs> by design, we have to be able to look at him. He doesn't wear one of those little infantilizing bonnets. Yeah, there's only a few of those. I feel like they give those out because most of the time they're like, man, I don't want to do the rest of the makeup work. Just just put yeah. a bonnet on Unlike him. Wallace Shawn, his head doesn't look like testicles. <laughs> right. So it turns out that the Grand Nagus is looking for a successor and he names Quark as his successor. And then he fakes his own death. And then the whole thing was a test for the Negus's son. And and his son is pissed off. And his son is pissed off because he fails the test. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then his son and Rom are the ones that are plotting Quark's death. Yeah. Right. Because the, the, the way to have won the test was to be the one that takes care of the bar. Because Quark's bar is really important and right that's where the money is yeah, ultimately and the influence if you listen well and that was a really nice point and even at one point like the negus says about his son it's like it's like talking about to a klingon no klingon yeah. and it sets like ferengi values are not like be cutthroat and kill people it's just like you know what it's whatever gets the most profit it's not being about being violent or aggressive. What he should have done is just sat back and been the guy behind the scenes pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ferengi is all about. Whereas his son is like trying so hard to be aggressive and cutthroat and everything. That's like, I really like that one line at the very end. It's like, it's like talking to a Klingon. <laughs> yeah. And you also see, you see it uh, when I was watching it a second time, you see all of the different areas where it's a, Big, it puffs up Quark. This episode It's very generous to Quark. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. like it, it, most moments, Quark has the right instinct. Even at the end, by dragging that Dabo girl to like show off to the Gamma Quadrant that that's his wife. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a smart instinct because they couldn't kill the Dabo girl too. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. Don't do that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So like, yeah. but like all of his instincts, even in that overbrought kind of crappy godfather ripoff scene oh at the table oh god i hated that i hated that oh, yeah where he's holding like a cat organ or something like i don't know like some sort of oh yeah like space cat what what the fuck was that puppet there yeah the pet there do we see that thing show up again at, at any time i actually loved it hey it's like some fucking <laughs> some crazy space cat uh, low budget henson imagineer but you know muppet <laughs> shit the puppet was <laughs> it's like somebody somebody had their hand in that thing <laughs> doing like little movements and stuff for through that whole scene yes. yeah probably nana visitor so she'd have some 
something to do. <laughs> That's how she got her uh, stipend for this show or whatever. Right. Yeah. I almost wonder if maybe this ep- this episode was written without knowing if O'Brien would be back from Con Air or whatever movie he was filming for the last three episodes. And that was all Nana Visitor stuff. And then like when O'Brien came back, they just ripped all of her lines from her and gave it to O'Brien. <laughs> maybe. But he had his wife. They didn't want to pay Keiko for this one. Because so I like, think it I would know, be let's... funny to watch Kira having to teach a bunch of kids. It would be. Yeah, yeah. And like d- deal with their homework excuses. Yeah. That's a funnier scene than O'Brien. When I was your age, I was killing. <laughs> yes. With ra- like razor wire, <laughs> Cardassians with my bare hands. Yes. And you guys are complaining about homework. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to build a nation here. You know, all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. But back to my point is the episode is really good to quark. And like, so like, I like that you get to see how when you bring in all the Ferengis you get to see in contrast not only the world that Quark comes from to better understand him but you get to see that like how he is you know you always want the character in a show to be exceptional among his kind and that he is that so that that's a joy to watch you know guys being a Ferengi looks fucking exhausting <laughs> like every time every time I'm watching it I'm just like Jesus it looks like you're always it's just full of just like one anxious hand wringing moment to the next <laughs> yes. isn't it yes <laughs> it just looks like a miserable existence and then they have to yeah like there was this i love that you go through and they, armin shimmerin's pretty great in this episode but um the scene where the negus comes in and the negus wants to go fuck a girl at the uh, the brothel (laughs) or five of them i'm glad that we've established that he runs a brothel yeah and then he wants to fuck five girls yeah and then like quark is like well okay that's not that's not a problem but if he dies in my hollow suite like (laughs) that's gonna look bad on me so he's got all that shit to worry about right (laughs) and then the negus comes out like oh give me that orange drink (laughs) yes there's a whole uh theme of orange and then jake sister was drinking orange juice this whole time there's a big orange drink yes <laughs> give me that orange stuff yes they have fanta in the future wait <laughs> right oh i'm sorry fanta. yeah that's what that is it's like a juggalo uh future we're living it's a juggalo culture the ferengis yeah, i get it that actually makes sense. That does make sense. Oh, my God. I think we stumbled <laughs> upon something here. They're future Juggalos, yeah. Oh, my God. I think that's giving Juggalos a little bit uh, more, credit more credit than they deserve. Yeah, they're not really economic powerhouses of the yeah. of the upper... I like I like Ferengi a lot more than I like Juggalos. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Juggalos that are listening. <laughs> You're pieces of shit, okay? I hate you. I'm surprised there's not a real-life <laughs> gathering of the Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to an obscure place in Indiana to go to that. People in their homemade Ferengi <laughs> makeup. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All the women are naked because that's what Ferengi like females to be. Yeah, they're like, they dress like the Davo girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, according to Ferengi, women should not be in clothing at all, ever. Uh, that's, that's, maybe, you're right. They did, we'll talk about that more later. They did say that, but like later on, you meet, don't you meet his, doesn't the girl? Oh, no. We'll, we'll get into yeah. that. Oh, no, there's, oh we do. Wait, wait and, is, Wade is right about this, though. They're not <laughs> supposed to be clothed. It's not something that they just, like, retcon later. Oh, do they? They stick with that, and it's a plot point later. Yes. Oh, uh, with his mom? Oh, yes. Yes. With what's-her-name from yes. Second City, SCTV? Is it Andrea Martin? Yeah, Andrea Martin plays his mom. Yes. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. Andrea Martin still looks good naked to this day, but... What? Whatever. Yeah, Andrea, you just getting out of the shower at your apartment and trying on. No, right now. but she was, no, Andrea Martin is a national treasure. That's all. Okay, I'm, no, say. I'm not here to badmouth. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not here to badmouth <laughs> that. But I think that, if it's Andrea Martin that plays Quark's mom, oh my god, I'm so excited. I don't excited. think I've ever found myself sexually attracted to her though. I haven't because, either. But she, okay. for, I'm just saying she takes good care of herself. That's all. Like, okay. And aside from her physicality, Andrea Martin. It's a fucking net, and she's the best. Okay, well, I think in season two, <laughs> apparently she did she she did a whole thing uh, when she was on Pippin on Broadway. She does for a revival. She did amazing things with acrobatics and trapeze shit. Like she's oh. she's in good shape. Oh, okay. I think this is a pro Andrea Martin podcast. podcast. Yeah, no, we're... I think we could. She gets oh, yeah. the rules of acquisition stamp of approval. Yeah. yeah, anybody that has bad things to say about Andrea Martin, I want to fight. So <laughs> let's just say that probably in the future, and I don't know if this holds up to scrutiny, but it seems that all of the Ferengi episodes could be awful, but they're all saved by good acting. Yeah, that's probably safe. Yeah. Wallace Shawn, Armin Shimmerman, Andrea Martin later on. I even like Wallace Shawn's manservant of the punk rock Ronald Reagan guy. 
<laughs> yeah. Did they make him look like Ronald Reagan on purpose? I don't know. That's a fucking perfect <laughs> observation. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't Luxana Troy have one of those? Like a big silent guy that doesn't oh, talk? Oh, yeah. That's like the butler race of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she does. Oh, well, that comes up later, too. They do establish that that particular race of alien is extremely loyal to their masters or something like they that. They do, yeah. Their employers. For, like, the two like minutes that. that they're trying to make him look suspicious in the whole Nagus plot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Also, weren't they handing out pieces of Wallace Shawn's dead body in Petri dishes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was counterfeit because, oh. spoiler, he's... Not really dead. No, I know, but like, who did they have to kill a Ferengi? How did that? Were they? And they just they replicate it. You put green <laughs> dust in a, you know, <laughs> the prop masters had to make it. The Ferengi do the same well, shit. Well, it seems like, but, except yeah. easier. They just punch a code. Yeah, in. but it seems like Ferengis would want like some sort of letter of authenticity. There was. There, yeah. it said that. It said that there were. It said something to that effect that there's just like a certificate of authenticity with. Oh, okay. It. I mean, I'm sure anything in the Ferengi world could be counterfeit. I know. It just, it, but yeah. in that scene, it was specifically Ferengi selling to Ferengi. So it seems like. Oh yeah. All of that. That was a beautiful bit of like fucking Ferengi culture that they established in this episode, which I love. Is that they're just a gu- they're just as gullible to their own sales pitches as. Yeah. Well, but, you know. <laughs> no, that they're so capitalist that they want to. They don't care about having funerals oh or, yeah no no that or I like. commemorating bodies they want to sell that them. i liked but it seemed like their own inter bartering wasn't more any more sophisticated than what they do with right the others well for thousands of years they built their society i'm sure they cheated each other before they had first contact and were able to cheat somebody else mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's true yeah I mean, they hold their, yeah, I, I they've, they've had thousands of years to develop ways to counterfeit that shit anyways that probably the Ferengi don't think about But it about just it. seems like all of these hanger-ons of the Nagus, they're not like, there's not the ROMs of the world. Or maybe they are. I don't know. Oh, they're totally the ROMs. How often does a Nagus pretend to die and give up profit <laughs> by faking his death? Probably not that often. I guess I was thinking more of the, no, I don't want to pay that much for it, but it's going to be twice as much next year. Okay. You know, the, that's an old as dirt sales tactic that just, that worked on a, like, I don't know. You're right, but it, it was, but a, it's it prob- was a weird. History has probably borne that out in Ferengi culture that it will be more worth more. I guess. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you. It's, it was just, a, it was a strange thing to see. Yeah, it was strange. Sure. I like, yeah. I mean, I like everything about the Ferengi is strange. Oh my God. I love this episode. I, there, this episode had so much to like sort of stick your teeth into. It was a, this was a fine episode, even though I, I still think it exposes Ira Bear as a hack. This episode was perfect. He's a hack. I'm all about Ira Bear being our one listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have Nana Visitor to smack around in this, in this podcast because she's not there. <laughs> we could switch gears real quick and talk about how great Avery Brooks and the Jake stuff was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I feel like um, it turns out, you know, whenever we have a, a kid in Star Trek, he's always got to be like a wonder kid. And Jake's character is so refreshingly normal. Yeah. And his relationship with his dad is refreshingly normal. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we saw on TV a lot. And it's not something we see a lot on TV right now. I think the closest thing we had to it recently was Walter White's relationship with his son in Breaking Bad. Kind of where they had like a real like gentle relationship. Maybe let's say that first season before it gets really sure. sure. Yeah. Right. Before it gets sucked into the gravity of, of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Cisco Jake relationship. He's a good, he, First of all, he's the only, I don't know, only person ever, well, in Star Trek, you have Beverly Crusher as a mom, but everyone else in the Federation is not a parent, Mm -hmm. and if they are a parent, they're bad at it. Like, oh, he has a son, and he's a good dad. Yeah. Kirk has a son, I guess, in the (laughs) movies, but he's a shit dad, and his son fucking dies. Dies. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You get the feeling that Kirk said, whew, (laughs) like... Right after yeah, like, oh shit, I have a son. He doesn't know he has a son until like the second or third movie. Second like, movie, and then the kid dies in the third movie, I think. 
He has a son for like a quarter of a movie. Yes. <laughs> right. I think he managed to lose him in that quarter. And for all that he got around in the original series, it's amazing that he only has the one, honestly. Yeah. I know we said privately that like you could count on one hand how many characters in Star Wars has had sex. Like, I feel like maybe the same thing could be true for Star Trek also. Well, the nature of the life doesn't, isn't it? We've established this before that the when you join the, a paramilitary organization, it doesn't exactly lend itself to the best family situation. Yeah, that's true. No, but Star Trek has been about sex in the future for a while. Yeah, since the beginning. Well, sex doesn't equal family. Yeah, no, 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 that's exactly. True. That's, that's, true. What, that's yeah, my point. But I was more talking about specifically with Star Wars, with how few people have actually had sex in Star Wars, or are allowed to. Yeah, Star Wars is afraid of sex. Yes, Star Trek less so. Trek celebrates it. <laughs> Rise up. Gene, Gene so. Roddenberry was much more sex positive than George Lucas. I think. <laughs> yes, George Lucas. Is strange but um no i think i think you hit on the nail on the head with what is so great about their is because you're given a kid whose name is on the credits at the beginning so he's not like us sometime i mean he's only on it sometimes but like he's he's an everyday he's he's a deep space nine character right he's in that core character yeah um and you're right he's not the special resley crusher was never allowed to be just a kid because he was always a wonderkin right jake isn't Jake is probably not as will ever be as smart as his dad. Right. He's never <laughs> destined to be a star in the Federation. Yeah, exactly. That's all I'm going to say about that. Nor does he really, he doesn't want to. No. No, he doesn't. I mean, that's, that's, we don't need to get ahead of ourselves, but he, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, he's not special and he probably won't ever be. Actually, he is special. He's probably the only person in. He's special in a different way. The only person in the whole damn Federation that's qualified to deal with the Ferengi on a cultural level. Oh, that's a good point. If there was ever a Ferengi crisis, the Federation might have to call Jake Sisko in. To like be the ambassador because he's the only one that's familiar enough with their culture yeah. to like negotiate those waters. Oh, that's true. No, that that's right. Yeah. But like you know, it's it's great watching a typical fourteen year old boy, and I like the fact that I got the feeling that like Wesley Crush, Beverly Crusher, always knew she had like a nerd genius. So like when he was like, "I need to go play around somewhere," she let him. She's like, "Okay, fine, go 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 do it, whatever." But Cisco was legitimately scared because his kid could be in the like breaking into holodecks. That's possible. Yeah, he's on top of his shit with his kid. He could, he's not going to be raising some Dabo girl's baby, is he? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and yeah. He he sneaks around. He he spies on his kid, and then he finds out. Oh, I have a good kid. He's like relieved. Yeah, Beverly Crusher would be like, oh, he's fine. But whatever. like, I trust. So it him. turns out that when Nog wasn't allowed to go to school and he couldn't read, Jake was sneaking off behind his dad's back, coming home late, and it turns out he was teaching Nog how to read in the cargo bay, mm -hmm. yeah. right? That's what we're talking about. Right, right. So, yeah, he still does, like, normal stuff. He's still, and he wouldn't tell, like, he knew he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't going to break Nog's trust, which is a strange, like, realistic 14-year-old thing it to was, do. It was, and it, and it didn't have to because he had already said that he was illiterate. He had told his dad he was illiterate in the scene before. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was keeping that. But yeah. I like that the show actually respects like, oh, he's not going to tell the secret. And Cisco respects that Jake doesn't tell him the truth mm -hmm. when he goes and spies on him. And O'Brien, when they're in class, he knows that Jake is lying when Nog gives the Vulcans ate my homework <laughs> excuse. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Vulcans stole my homework. And then O'Brien is like, that's bullshit. But then Jake and he's like, Jake stands up for him. He's like, you know what? I respect that your kid's not a rat. I'm going to let it go because he spoke up for you. You know what? I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that scene. That was good writing with the in the classroom scene with like the Vulcans stole my homework because it shows that he's like culturally illiterate, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're talking about ethics and Vulcans being thieves. Yeah. He's like, he's like, why would Vulcans steal your homework? He's like, because they don't have ethics. And I was like, uh, you know, that was a little that was using Star Trek nerddom and sort of world understanding to develop like something in a really <laughs> succinct way in a really well-written quick little way that gives you the like that he's kind of stupid about people yeah. and about the different races of the world. So I like that. Yeah. That he needs education, that yeah. he needs a he needs to be in class. Yeah, and speaking of Vulcans, apparently Jake and Nog's 
activity that they do is just sitting at the top of the second level of the mall yes. on the promenade, just sitting around looking and at people. And eating one of those like pig ears that they get from the little merchant. Yeah, yeah. Then they're on the promenade doing whatever and a Vulcan walks by and then Jake's like hubba hubba basically. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's hot. And it, I just thought like maybe those onesie spacesuits that they give them have some extra <laughs> defense in the crotch because yeah. I don't think they're very good for adolescent no, boners. No, no, no. You're, that, that's, the awful, that's the bad jumpsuit boners that uh, you don't need. <laughs> right. Maybe the future they solved that problem because clearly it's, he's, he's getting salt a... Peter uh, injections or something. Yeah, or maybe maybe the fabric is some space-age polymer that looks like it. But it's it's bigger like on the inside. Pushing back that tiny... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't you think he could just replicate some anti-space boner drug before going in looking yeah but who wants to do that i think that's probably what he does (laughs) i pretend to believe that the suit is actually (laughs) his boner is pushing real hard against it but it just doesn't look like it is because it's really constricting yeah no i like that too and it was like because he's like because he's a 14 year old kid yeah and the whole scene between him and o'brien which i I really like a lot or between cisco and o'brien when he's like i'm not going to push that issue with him right now and he's like why not and he goes because i don't want him to choose and he's like why wouldn't you want him to choose between you and nog because because i'm gonna lose because he's a 14 year old kid yeah and that's exactly like (laughs) i think every parent of a teenager goes through that yeah and o'brien's like what that's crazy and like "Uh, you're your kid's three. Yes, right. Talk to me again when she's 14. <laughs> that was Which great. Which nerds on Memory Alpha get really upset because she really should only be a year and a half old. But uh, Of course. <laughs> fuck you, nerds. <laughs> it is. A, she is a year and a half old. And O'Brien knows that, but he's not going to correct Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> You're turning it into a thing where it's like it's Cisco doesn't know. Yes. <laughs> he's just going to let it sit there. He's not going to. He got the point. I don't know. Who can figure it out between interstellar travel and stardates yeah. and Einsteinian relativity? Maybe she is three. <laughs> yeah, she could be trapped into time dilations or something like that. Right. No, I like that. Uh, there's also, we're on the we're on timelines and nerds. Apparently, way back in the Dax episode, they gave out a stardate that was wildly wrong. Oh, yeah. Not surprised. But because you have to, like, follow the timeline on these things. The nerds win ape shit on Memory Alpha is what you're saying. Well, they don't ever want to say that the star dates are wrong, so they have to accept that as fact. And because that was the episode where O'Brien first left. Oh. And so he's been gone all this time, and it mentions that he had been gone before on this episode. All of these episodes have to be, like, pulp fictioned out to be, like, somewhere in the middle of the second season. That's tedious. Instead of just accepting that they made a wrong stardate number. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, so, but, like, that's what they do. So, like, all of these things are like, this is complicatedly placed somewhere in the activities of the second season. So. <laughs> that's interesting. Yes. Because they're all kind of one-offs anyways. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. None of them are really building on the larger story, so. Except when you get to all the different first contacts we've had, those have to be Yeah, and there's a new first contact uh, next week, too. I was a nut. That's the third first contact we've had. Well, it's a first contact, well, because there's all these different planets. So it's a first contact with these people. Okay. And the, well, of course, you're going to only have one first contact with one yeah, yeah. person. That's what first no, contact no, 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 is. No, 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 no. But they've, no, had, with, they've had first contact. They've had formal first no, contact I mean, so far. Uh, okay, because you're talking about the, the, with the, gamma, the quadrant. gamma quadrant. But, like, yeah, these are actual planets. So they you meet a new race next week, too. Okay. So, uh, um, but, yeah, um, that's getting here nor there. All right. So are we about to the point, does anybody have anything they want to share that they would change about this? Or do we have more to talk about? Um, I, I think we're at that point. Yes. Who wants to go first? Come back to me. Wade, what would you change? Okay. All right. I don't know if I would change it, but I had a certain memory of what I thought this episode was that I actually was really psyched to wait for. And it never happened. <laughs> like the way I remembered it was also kind of prescient. Like I thought that the Nagus faking his death was a way of him shorting and to make more profit for himself. <laughs> like, I thought it would have been great if he was like, Oh, that would have been great. Quark is a fuck up. I'm going to make him grand naked so he can screw everything up. And then I'm going to short sell while I'm <laughs> quote unquote dead and then make it up on the back end. Cause I'm all about profit and I'm a genius. And the Nagus is I great. Think that's a- and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And then at the time I was like, you know what? Oh my God, that's so prescient because this, 
predates the, two, the 2008 <laughs> yes. collapse. Oh my God, this show is genius. It's so prophetic. That's in my head. That's how I remembered uh-huh. it. And then, it, oh, that never happens. The whole thing is a uh, thing to the pull a test on his son. It's like, oh, okay, it's fine. I can't blame them for not knowing what would happen in the future. But when I thought that was what it was going to be, I was so excited yeah. to talk about how prophetic Deep Space Nine is and how important this show is. And that's why our podcast matters so much. <laughs> <laughs> so if I could change anything, I would make it to where it, that was such a big People deal. People always say when you go back in time that, well, this was made in a simpler time. Yeah. Usually they're talking about race. And I usually think that's bullshit. But um, <laughs> right. with this, it's actually true. I don't think people understood the like because the Ferengi's capitalist little schemes are all flea market swap meet sort of sale schemes you know like I'll I'll sell you these four cartons of this for this and they're worth you know it's all like really sort of basic capitalism yeah and like the complicated Goldman Sachs world (laughs) is not really like like if this was written today they're swindler capitalism if this was written today they would be more Goldman Sachsy with their plans of selling shorts and trust stock and all that kind of crap but you're right this is a that would have been prescient. <laughs> I was so psyched. I because I, you know, you remember things differently, I guess. And I remembered, oh my god, this show is fucking genius, and I didn't even realize it. Uh, well, maybe it's genius in another way. I don't know. I was wrong. I would have. Uh, uh, I don't know. You've half convinced me that, like, my general belief that the original pitch story, the kernel that I understand of it, was probably bringing in things other than Ferengis into this sort of scheme because I still don't really understand why Ferengis would have a Nagus. His power seems to be nebulous. Is he like a president of the planet? Yeah, yeah, that is a little weird, especially as pro-capitalist as they are. Well, he he's a financial leader and political a, leader, financial and political. It seems leader. like he's more of a union leader, kind of like when you. Yeah, he should be the Alan Greenspan, especially talking in the timeline than we are that or, or before the financial collapse. He should be the Alan Greenspan of the Fringy. But he seems more like a Jimmy Hoffa. Like, yeah, he does. Well, that's what they set up them as is. You know, crux. yeah. So like that, it's it's all very complicated, and I, I would have liked the idea of exploring a formal criminal enterprise yeah. in the Alpha Quadrant and and seeing it represented with Romulans and Klingons and Vulcans and all that shit. Um, but still being quark centric. But like this episode is so good that these arguments are are are. I I, I appreciate that my arguments on this are weak. So yeah, and they've already actually gotten into bringing all these criminals they did that with the um q episode yeah where yeah but i meant like she she they get all these like criminals to come in and bid on things they've already had a conglomeration of all the criminals in the quadrant well sort of i mean then he seeks and he sells those bounty hunters to kill somebody in one of the episodes but like the idea of you know like a like a true like enterprise like a like a a mafia or like something. Like a Cosa Nostra, I think, was the word I was trying to look for. Uh, you know, where they're not all just criminals. They're just members of a criminal. It's so it's, um, you know, where they're not all like gangsters, like kill people and shit like that. But they're running like a business, you know, like it's it's a business. <laughs> right. Which right. I think is what it was supposed to be like sort of pitched as. But this episode is great. And this may be my favorite episode since the pilot. So, so I got no. I understand my argument is weak. And I, I enjoyed this episode. So, yeah. You he. The one thing that I would I would change about this episode is it just bugs me the lack of education and Nog's illiteracy bugs me because there's no it doesn't make sense for somebody who's to be after profit to be so down on any sort of education that maybe come up with some sort of like Ferengi caste system. Yeah, I think the understanding is that Ferengi are all supposed to be homeschooled. Well, that and maybe, <laughs> but maybe that, it's the idea. There's so many. There's there's so many things about the Ferengi culture that goes that's counterintuitive to making money. Yeah, yeah. As my problem overall, there's so they're going about so many things wrong. You, well, you know wait what I mean? Minute. I can make the case for this. I mean. It, it's because they have an apprentice program, basically. In general, I mean, the Ferengis are, let's let's be honest, these people are taking a piss out of right-wing Republicans. The writers and everyone are, are sort of sort of attacking that. And that gets married towards, like, this idea of, like, the Federation is, a, like, essentially a socialistic body. 
And the schools are a particular, you know, even in America now, public education is a socialistic body that's often attacked by right-wing conservatives. And a lot of that's for religious reasons, but it could be for ideological reasons, too. And so maybe this idea of, like, you know, sort of the dog-eat-dog sort of nature of education, where you want the fittest and, like, the ones that want it the most get to earn the most. And so if Nog was truly a good earner... If he was truly, like, uh, you know, someone that was really going to, like, have a drive to be a good Ferengi, if he had the lobes for it, he would be getting the education he needed without someone handing it to him. Yeah. Okay, then they should they should communicate that. I, I agree, I agree. My point is is that they, they've, they've made such a weak case for his ignorance. Yeah. And it was never addressed before. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we don't even see him working in the bar that much, even in the background, like wiping tables or whatever. Or having to clean out, having to clean out the holodeck after the Nagus went through five programs. Right, yeah. right. Leaning on a mop. <laughs> he just gets shit on. That's what Ferengi children do, I guess. They go down the pecking order. Yeah. In the pilot episode, at least, he was like a vital part. He was one of the main thieves in Quark's Enterprise. Oh, yeah. And that's why they throw him in the brig. So that, oh, yeah. I forgot know. about that. Yeah. He does have a record. <laughs> yeah. He has a record. And then going back to the sixth rule of acquisition that we also get in this episode. Oh, yes. Lay it on us. Which is also goes back to like, oh, if Ferengi are supposed to be homeschooled and family so important, that's kind of bullshit, too, because... Mm-hmm. The sixth rule of acquisition is never allow family to stand in the way of opportunity. Right. So who cares it's if such you... A, it's such a convol... Everything's so convoluted with the Frangi. I'm sure the rules of acquisition, uh, if we look them all up, you know, half of them probably contradict each other. Oh, it's just you know? making them up as they go along to buoy the plot. Right. All right. So any other final thoughts? Uh, no. The next episode is called The Vortex, and it, it I, I've watched 20 minutes of it and... Okay, we're back to snooze fest. All right, it does it does deal with Odo's where he come from. So that origins, yeah, yeah. his origins. So that's we're on to an Odo episode, huh? Yes. So okay, Renee Abergenois, whatever is usually he's been a bright star in the show. Oh, so. Human, he's a workhorse. Yeah. All right. Um, if that's it, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. That's a good one. Uh, thanks for listening to the rules of acquisition. Go follow us on all that stuff and. Do all the stuff that every podcast tells you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Email us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Tell us where we're wrong and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Three to beam out. Three to beam out. All right. Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition Pod and on Tumblr at the Rules of Acquisition Podcast.tumblr.com. Send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.